Spoiler alert, when this podcast talks about the books, it talks about it in the context of the entire The Song of Ice and Fire series. And when it does so about the television shows, it does so in the context of the most recent episode. You've been warned. Before the Dragon, a podcast dedicated to George R.R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire and the HBO Game of Thrones prequels franchise. Welcome to a Thursday edition of Before the Dragon. It's a podcast dedicated to A Song of Ice and Fire and the prequel series for Game of Thrones, a television show. Next week, we might have a little bit of news, just kind of a little news recap about the prequel series. But for now, we are just talking A Song of Ice and Fire and more specifically, Fire and Blood, the novel which was released in November of 2018 getting around to talking about that finally and this time around i am once again joined by susan at black eyed lily on twitter we'll get to her in just a second and we will be discussing the chapters 9 and 10 of fire and blood birth death and betrayal under jaharis the first as well as jaharis and alisan their triumphs and tragedies that's chapter 10 those two chapters coming up for you just real quickly, want to say thanks for sticking with this podcast. We really appreciate it. You can help support me by leaving written reviews on wherever you get your podcast from, uh, whatever apps that you're using, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Just look for Before the Dragon Podcast, and that's how you will find us. You can find links to all of that stuff as well as our contact information like Matt's audio blog at gmail.com, M-A-T-T-S audio blog at gmail.com. If you have any thoughts about these chapters, or you can tweet to at the letter B, the number four, the dragon pod on Twitter. That's a no easy way to get to me and make sure that your feedback gets included as well. There's also a contact form at the website, Matt's audio blog.com, M-A-T-T-S audio blog.com is where you find all things regarding this podcast and our podcast where we will be covering the His Dark Material series on HBO and BBC later this fall. I'll be joined by Holly to talk about those and the books, Philip Pullman's books as well. Find all of that at the website. In addition, there's a new tab up as of this month that has our panel from Con of Thrones that we did. I was joined by Bubba and Catfish from the Joffrey Podcast, as well as Petra Halber, from Watchers on the Wall, where we discuss the music of Ramin Javadi for the series Game of Thrones. You can find the audio from that, as well as some PowerPoints, all in its own little tab. Uh, I'm not putting it on the feed, but I am supplying it there until next year, when maybe we'll do another one like this. Uh, the, you can find all of that stuff at mattsaudioblog.com. But that's enough about the podcast. Let's get right into talking about these chapters of Fire and Blood. And we begin with Chapter 9, Birth, Death, and Betrayal under Jaehaerys I. Chapter 9, Birth, Death, and Betrayal under Jaehaerys I. Well, I think that something that is interesting is we start to see the beginning of the royal progress trips that Jaehaerys and Alisan took. And they took a number of these. And obviously, this is important when the the king and queen were able to go out into the realm and to visit and both for them to learn the land and for people to be able to interact with them and they did it in a very friendly manner they didn't take the kind of huge retinue that apparently Aegon and his sisters had when they did something similar so it was much easier for the the lords that they were visiting to be able to host them because it was a much you know smaller group of people always going with their dragons. But they began that with the, the first one into the Crownlands and Vale and Alisan beginning her uh, holding her women's courts with the first one being held in Duskendale. Oh, yes. Excellent. Uh, I love these women's courts because they do end up I, I love that Alisan has these because uh, in the next chapter we'll see how they, at least one of them, ends up shaping shaping uh, policy, uh, which is a big change, which also reminds me of a book parallel, but we'll get to that. Uh, but yes, they, they do start here. Now, where is it that 
Alisan, is this the chapter where Alisan is attacked at Maidenpool? Yes, it is. Um, what did you What did you take from that? Uh, I, obviously, some in the faith are still very resistant to this whole idea of Jaehaerys and Alisan being together, but um, uh, this is basically what inspires the fact that in a place where only women can be, uh, a, a, a Jonquil Dark, the Scarlet Shadow, is needed, right? Yes, right, that the queen has a protector. It was certainly a very tragic situation in the light of the fact that the queen was pregnant at the time this happened and was so disturbed by it that uh, you know she feels that it had a had an ill effect on on the child because then when she gave birth prematurely to her first son Aegon he only lived for 3 days. Yeah. Yeah, that was very sad. Did they call this year the year of the stranger with all of the deaths that you have in this I can see why. Um, first of all, uh, what Septon Moon used to call the what the the High Licks Biddle, mm-hmm. he he dies, uh, and of course that's going to cause concern regarding the faith's approval of Jaehaerys and Alysanne. That gets resolved, uh, and so exceptionalism is is retained as kind of a cornerstone of the faith, which is done. Uh, it has to, it has to be recounted later by Jaehaerys himself to uh, uh, to. Was it the Maester or the Septon? I can't remember. But uh, one of the two heard the story, and there's a, a long recounting of, of how that negotiation with the High Towers went down. The High Towers are still a very interesting family to me now uh, because <laughs> there's something shady about them and yet admirable about them all at the same time. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, the one who was uh, Lord at the time had already not responded in a timely fashion to different events that they had wished he would. Yeah. I thought the whole trip to the, when they go there uh, out to old town was interesting. I liked the, the imagery of Alison and Silverwing landing up on the high tower. Mm-hmm. I thought that was just a, a, a interesting imagery and thinking about the idea in the coming books that you know, if we do get a a dragon in Old Town and the damage that might be done there, there may be another you know dragon possibly landing on that high tower as well. Just uh, maybe think about that. Even though this was in a very benign way, but coming there, staying with the high towers and all the negotiations that they were able to get the the high septon to be the ones who had gone out and promoted their cause, one of the seven that they sent out to do that. But knowing that this man was, was very elderly, he probably wasn't going to live too long and agreeing that, that then he would be replaced by a high tower as long as the high towers supported the exceptionalism doctrine. Yes. There's also the death of, uh, Queen Elisa or Alyssa. I don't know how you say that name, but, uh, that seemed very sad because Reina just has this horrible streak of showing up too late all of the time. <laughs> I felt terrible for Reina, Reina in that. Right. right. Now, this is jumping ahead a little bit, though, because first you had Queen Alyssa uh, have a healthy son mm-hmm. the, who they named Boromund, which reminded me of Boromir. Um, you know, George loves to take his names from different places. So I wondered if that was a sure. nod to Boromir there. Nice. Uh, yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, so they, that, that was definitely a very joyous event. But then for her to get pregnant again at her age was concerning to everybody. And the fact that, uh, yeah, she did die before she was able to give birth. Yeah. And uh, Rogar, for as opinionated and as 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 quick thinking and as as sure footed as he normally seems, uh, he basically had to be made to make the, a decision regarding Alyssa, which I thought was tragic. Um, to have to choose between your child and your wife, even though the wife was probably not going to survive, uh, it's got to be horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. I think, you know, the maesters pretty much told him that his wife was going to die either way. So it was, you know, do you want us to try to save the 
the child or not. And I know that Rainus blamed him that he should have tried to save the mother, but that probably wasn't an option in the first place. Probably not. Yeah. But then this child, the second child that's born, uh, you know, she is going to become important in her role later on, uh, this Jocelyn Baratheon. And uh, we also have, around the same time, Corleone Valerian, the sea snake, is born around mm. this time as well. So you're having births of some people who are going to play some pretty significant roles later on. Yes, yes. I, I, I had it down in my notes here. Yeah, and before we go forward too much more, I want to back up to that uh, that trip to the Vale because that was where Queen Alessand, due to her, the, some of the meetings that she held, she came forward with the information to want to promote the first of what they called her, the Queen Alessand's laws, and that was the one to uh, protect widows, the widow law. Should the, uh, the woman outlive the husband, that his children, especially if they were maybe from a previous marriage or whatever, they couldn't get rid of this woman. They would have to make sure that she was, uh, you know, she wasn't uh, become destitute after that. She was, you know, maintained right. with uh, a budget to, so that she wasn't uh, kept in the manner of befitting her station and who she was. And also protecting the rights of children in a first marriage from being usurped by children in a later marriage. So there were right. definitely look coming to it from a couple of different uh, perspectives there. Yes. Excellent. I'm going to keep going down my list of, of deaths here. Then we can backtrack to some other points too. But uh, this whole bit with Raina's husband, Andrew Farman poisoning all of Raina's court. Mm-hmm. How, how, how atrocious <laughs> i mean uh i think he got what he deserved i didn't blame reina one bit for feeding him to his her dragons well he jumped out the window uh, i i think she did end up feeding his corpse but i mean yeah 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 she was gonna she was gonna want to she wanted to cut off his manhood and have it fed to him right uh, and but then he jumped out the window uh saying well I can fly just like my wife, you know, my wife can fly and so can I. So he jumped out the window. One of yeah. That seems to be a favorite form of death for George. Um, and, uh, but then his, he was uh, fed to her dragon afterwards. Yeah. 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 It was, it was definitely despicable. Um, I also felt sorry for him a bit too, in terms of how he was treated. You know, he did, and he was, you know, saying to her at the end, you know, you know, if, if I could have done a lot of things for you. You know, you didn't, you know, you didn't respect me and you didn't, you know, let me fulfill any of these things that I that I could have done. And maybe, you know, maybe I'm just making excuses for the guy. I mean, I, I don't condone anything and, and he, you know, definitely got what he, he deserved. But he, he was he was a tragic figure, too. Yes. Yes. In that way. Uh, I also felt like he was a guy who could have never done any of the things that he tried to tell her that he could do <laughs> um, so I, I mean just by the way he is described as you know he was never any good at this he was never any good at that uh i just feel like it's like well, who are you fooling here you're not going to fool her are you trying to fool yourself and i guess that's okay too <laughs> yeah apparently he enjoyed playing with the with the painted table and the little uh men there and everything Going back to Old Town, too, before uh, Queen Alyssa's death, and while they were there, I thought that it was interesting that Alessand met with the Maesters, and she was promoting that they should consider the idea that women could study and earn links for a change just as, as well as any man. Of course, they didn't take her seriously about any of that, but uh, right. it, it made you think about the uh, Dornish... Uh, yes, a sand snake. Yes, yes. Uh, right. is is in there a little? I mean, obviously they don't. Uh, they're they're not aware. Uh, they're still clinging on to these same things that they were just kind of like, okay, we'll just nod and and sh- shake our heads and 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 hopefully she'll go away. Uh, right. Is where where these guys were at at the time, and it feels like that they're still in that kind of feeling, but but little do they know. There is right. a woman in there doing exactly what Alisane said a woman could do there. Alaras is her the, her name uh, that she's going by there. But if you turn it around, 
then it's Sorella. Yes. Okay. That's right. You right. had to, you had to miss, you had to spell the name backwards in order to get it. That's great. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, uh, when they left, uh, old town, I thought that their stop, uh, at, uh, the Dondarian's property was really interesting because the the person that they that they're entertained by there is another Rhaegar parallel. You've got this uh, Simon Dondarian, and he was an excellent harpist. And this you know really made me think about um, Rhaegar because they said that uh, uh, he played sad songs of star-crossed lovers and the deaths of kings, mm-hmm. um, and he was excellent at jousting as well. So, you know, there's Rhaegar vibes all over that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, just think of the tourney of Hall is all you have to think about in terms of that. Right. And later on, he does perform in a tourney where he names their their daughter, a, a little princess when she's very young. Yes, Daenerys. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the same individual. So, again, lots of uh, Rhaegar vibes with this guy. I like that. I like that a lot. Speaking of Daenerys, I, I, I love how once we get the whole idea of, of Daenerys is born um, and then we get the whole idea about the eggs from Dragonstone um, mm-hmm. that Alyssa Farman, we think, took, at least in this chapter, we get it confirmed in the next chapter. So I guess I can go ahead and talk about it. But um, I, I, I love that uh, it's three of them. And uh, they may not hatch, Benefer said, not away from Dragonstone. The heat, it is known. Some dragon's eggs simply turn to stone. Uh, and Jaehaerys' response is, then some spice monger in Pentos will find himself possessed of three very costly stones. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, elsewise, the birth of, of three young dragons is not a thing that can easily be kept a secret. Whoever has them will want to crow. We must have eyes and ears in Pintos, Ty- Tyrosh, Mir, all the free cities offer rewards, uh, any word of dragons. And, and, and the eggs do end up actually in Bravos. This makes me think of the faceless man seeming interest in feast with all things concerning dragons in the Citadel. Um, it also makes me think, of course, naturally of the parallel, and I'm not going to say this, but, um, uh, you know the whole mint the fact that pentos is mentioned it's three eggs there's stone that daenerys is in the same chap mentioned in the same chapter this this princess daenerys um it's all meant to just kind of reflect us towards the story uh of in game of thrones for daenerys right it, it's i i do love the fact that he just wants to remind us of the story here um in game of thrones by putting these things in the same chapter Definitely. Yeah. One other thing that we need to talk about is uh, not only do eggs get stolen from Dragonstone, but uh, Rainey's daughter, Ari, Ara, Aria, 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 I don't know either. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she takes off with Balerion. Nobody's read, rode Balerion since uh, Magor, Magor, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I was just kind of like, what is this girl thinking? Right. Yeah, we've gone through this whole scenario here where she was obviously very, very unhappy there. She had been unhappy. She had tried to get Alyssa Farman to take her with her. And when uh, Queen Allison came to visit after all of Reyna's favorites were killed, she wanted her to go back to King's Landing. So she was a very unhappy little girl. She wasn't getting her mother's attention or anything there, but the fact that she fled on Valerian was was pretty wild. Um, a couple of things that were going on right at that same time there was that the hand, the Valerian hand, the uncle, were tired, and so they had brought in, Jairus had appointed a new hand, and it was uh, someone from uh, Smallwood, from Acord Hall, I believe, and they were going to hold this... Uh, tournament to celebrate the completion of the dragon's pit but that's when then reina comes to tell about what had happened with uh Araya, and that kind of you know stopped everything for them to try and figure out what was going on there 
Yeah, and I I feel bad for Alisane throughout the course of these events, or Alisane, simply because everybody looks back, as a person who's experienced this not too long ago, everybody looks back at, at certain moments of time and you think, man, if I'd have just done this or just done that, you know, would things have turned out differently? And I, I feel bad for the way uh, Alisane reflects on that for a while. True. You know, they're sending out people to try and search for her and her mother takes off on her dragon looking for her but where the chapter closes there hasn't been any resolution to that all right well let's move on then to our final chapter for this particular reading and this recording chapter 10 jaharis and alisan their triumphs and tragedies chapter 10 jaharis and alisan their triumphs and tragedies all right, well, as we get into this chapter of Jaharis and Alison, their triumphs and tragedies, I like the fact that they kind of opened it up talking about the fact that they've had a period of peace now in Westeros. Um, Jaharis and Alison have been in after the end of Magar and d- during this time that they are establishing their rule. And as a result of that, you've had a real population growth because you haven't had people going off to war and getting killed. Mm. So, you know, there's been a big uh, expansion, big boom in King's Landing, but really all throughout Westeros. And as a result, one of the things is that there was a lot more productivity, too. You had more farming and more fishing and, you know, just uh, things seem to be the economy and everything seemed to be going really well as a result of all of this. Yeah, the prices are getting cheaper for everything from you know livestock to the sheep wool the everything is getting cheaper because um, nobody's getting killed no lands are getting beat up uh, so that you know everything's being well used and more of it's getting used because the population is growing so it, yeah it's it's a wonderful flourishing time for their reign and then it talked about reina is still out searching for her daughter and she spent quite a long time, maybe almost about a year, it seems like, you know, off on her own. And you know, she had she had stopped at a few well-established castles, but then she just kind of was off on her own. And it just made you feel really, I felt this just really melancholy and sad for her that, uh, you know, maybe she was searching for her daughter. Maybe she was just needing to be out by herself to deal with all of this. Yeah, Rainey is one of the, the really interesting characters because she's still kind of an enigma. She's very hard and maybe because she's very hard, she won't take consolation with anybody. It it does seem like, you know, that there's mentions in here that maybe she was just off. Like you said, she visits some castles, but more often than not, maybe she was just in a wooded area by herself. Um, Not sulking. I I just feeling maybe feeling like she just couldn't stand to be around anybody because she was going through so much grief. Her, her life is really a tragic life. When you think about what happened with Aegon and then having to be with Magar and then all of the other things, uh, you know, that this whole bit with, uh, with her husband, Andrew Farman, uh, doing what he did. You can see why she unleashed herself, uh, on, on Rogar, um, and told him that it was all his fault because, She's had nothing but bad things happen to her. Now her daughter's gone. The other daughter is in the sep, so she can only visit her maybe once in a while, right? As we're to understand in this chapter. Mm-hmm. It is very sad. Right, right. And, you know, and I thought a little bit about the time that uh, Daenerys in, in our story is off on her own with uh, Drogon or the girl Nettles who wrote Sheep Stealer, who then ended up off in the wild on her own, just thinking about, you know, people uh, being kind of isolated with their dragons. And although she was doing this by, by choice, it wasn't like Daenerys, which she couldn't get back. Just, you know, out in the wild herself and her dragon and what that would be like. And there, there would probably be some relief in that, you know, having to deal with all of these things that were going on. Agreed. One of one of the things that I found interesting, and again, we keep pointing, I, 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 I'm calling this whole first 10 chapters kind of a propaganda for going uh, west <laughs> on the Sunset Sea, because uh, we even get uh, the Starks here. Uh, there's a mention about them, because in our, in our modern A Song of Ice and Fire story, 
um, outside of what has happened in Game of Thrones with Arya, um, the Starks seem so landlocked. You know, they they seem so just right there in the center of the north, and they're not really going to go to the seas and everything. But there is the stories of Brandon the shipwright, and and um, thousands of years before the conquest, when the kings of winter still reigned in the north, Brandon the shipwright had built an entire fleet of ships to cross the Sunset Sea. He took them west himself, never to return. His son and heir, another Brandon, burned the yards where they were built and was known as Brandon the Burner forevermore. Um, all of this, I mean, wanting to sail across, I don't know if uh, if uh, Dave and Dan were, were privy to anything that George might have told him or whatever in regards to... Um, Arya might having some of that inkling in her just as a tribute to maybe Brandon the shipwright or what have you. Um, you also have uh, Alyssa Farman now using the the name Alice Westhill. Uh, she's getting her boat and she's starting to sail off west as well. Everything keeps pointing. I, I'm telling you, George is setting up soft ground for marketing so that he can introduce a whole new continent in between Westeros and Essos. <laughs> Uh, and at the same time, we're getting uh, information from Essos, too, where because they're trying to search for Araya, get these reports about the, these different uh, burnings, you know, sheep being burnt and all these other different things that they, they need to send people out to investigate to see if perhaps it might be Valerian, though it all kind of all ends in a bunch of dead ends. Yes. As long as we're talking about area, area um, that brings to this whole bit about the the accounting of of her return. That that's horrifying, um, and it's brought to uh, light that uh, uh, Barth thinks that she went to the doom. Uh, one of the things that I love about this is that uh, Barth ended up writing this dragons, worms, and and wyverns. I, I guess. Yeah. yeah, and their unnatural history. Um, that's mentioned in Tyrion Four of A Dance with Dragons. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also, you know, it ends up being that uh, Jaharis makes it, basically makes it pretty much illegal for anybody who has been to the Doom to come anywhere near the, the kingdom of Westeros. Uh, Jaharis issued a royal edict forbidding any ship suspected of having visited the Valerian Islands or sail the smoking sea from landing at any port or harbor in the seven kingdoms. Mm. This whole thing about what happened to Aria or Aria or however you say her name, uh, it's horrifying. Um, right. The, you know, first you just get the outside account where she was near enough to naked as to make no matter her clothing no more than rags and tatters clinging to her arms and legs. Her hair was tangled and matted, her limbs thin as sticks. The girl was flushed and burning with fever, her skin so hot that he could feel it even through an enameled scaled armor. Uh, she had blood in her eyes as well, but the knight claimed there was something inside her, something moving that made her shudder and twist in my arms. And then you get from, you get from Barth himself, like thing after being placed in ice, there were worms with faces, snakes with hands, twisting, slimy, unspeakable things that seem to writhe and pulse and squirm as they came bursting from her flesh. <laughs> I mean, ah, you know, and, and then you think about, Anyone who's gone close to the Smoking Sea, and I'm trying to recall because obviously Jorah and Tyrion went all through there when they were in the show, but I can't remember how close to the Smoking Sea did Tyrion and Jorah get when they were uh, on the boat in the book. I think they were able to see like some, you know, like a strange horizon, like redness on the horizon or something like that. Makora might have pointed out i i don't remember the exact thing but i think that they came close enough that they were able to see a strange something and makoro pointed out that that's what it was it definitely makes you think about the fact that euron makes these claims about having visited Valeri himself i you know really start to question that i mean of course you would question anything that euron says but you know, <laughs> he makes he makes these claims and then you know and has this uh 
you know, tar this uh, uh, Valerian steel armor. Uh, it's incredible, you know, some of these incredible uh, things, the the dragon horn and all that. But uh, I would have to think that he must have got those in, uh, you know, far-flung exotic ports or something. I seriously doubt that he actually went to Valeria, if that's the result of what it would be like there. Yes. And, and it seems that Barth also concludes that probably Aria never really had control of Valerian at all, uh, and that Valerian uh, uh, just wanted to return home, so to speak, and uh, she paid the price for that. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think this is, you know, this is definitely George using his horror writing skills here. He's, you know, how he, he, there's certain parts of the Song and Ice, uh, Song of Ice and Fire novels that we've kind of pointed at as being, uh, examples of him doing that, like the, when they're on the, the Roin River and they have that whole encounter with the stone men and stuff, you know, there's a few other, other places that, uh, are are like that and and this is definitely an example where he's he's wanting to use those writing skills yeah uh he does have a little bit of lovecraft in him does he not yeah yeah <laughs> and I, and i have to say that you know as far as listening to people talk about this book this incident is the thing that i've seen most discussed by people really? uh i think it, it brought up the most yeah you know trying to figure out what the heck was going on here and one of the things I would really recommend if people are interested in, in hearing a little more about this, there's a YouTube person, uh, Crow Foods Daughter has some wonderful videos uh, uh, under the name The Disputed Lands. And she has uh, quite a few videos on other subjects. And she's very, she does her research really well. And she's very concise and lays out her arguments in a very logical way with them, whatever she has to say. And she did a two part video based on the information that she got out of this combined it with all the other things and did a two part video called the secret origin of dragons. There's a part one and a part two. They're both about a half an hour long. And she is laying out her, information about how the Targaryens potentially bred dragons and all the evidence of what they did and their connections with them and so forth. And this chapter really inspired her to do that. And that's some of the best stuff I've seen come out of here. Excellent. Excellent, folks. Be sure to check that out. What else have you got for me here? Before Arya showed up, we have Jaehaerys and Alison and Barth begin their big project of codifying uh, the laws for all of Westeros with what they eventually call the Great Code of Septon Barth. And uh, it says it took them a couple of years just to review all of the existing laws and, and quite a bit longer to get everything all put together into one big code of law. But at least, uh, you know, this is where they started on that, which is, which is really interesting. Yes. Yeah, I, I love how uh, he, he, like you mentioned, he, he says it took two years of just research to figure out where the heck to start. Um, this is a long process for them, but it's, it was the beginning of the process. Mm -hmm. You have more royal progresses going on in this chapter, a couple of significant ones. And the first one, um, out to the Westerlands, that coincides again with another pregnancy for... Uh, Alison mm -hmm. and Jaehaerys comes back just in time from that to where she gives birth to this uh, Prince Aemon. Yes. And there's a lot of things I liked about uh, this situation, uh, but uh, when uh, uh, Jaehaerys comes back to King's Landing with him and and uh, shows him to all of the folk at the at the Red Keep, it just uh, it was, I said, well, that's his his Lion King moment. He's raising that little prince up above him for everyone to see. Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And uh, then we have, you know, Raina's the dis discussion about her, her final years after after dealing with the, the tragedy of her daughter's death that she goes and lives out in, in Harrenhal mm -hmm. and lives in the Widow's Tower and that the only other really resident at Harrenhal at the time was uh, Magar, 
Powers, who was a big supporter of, or his family was at least was a big supporter of Magar, so that's how he ended up with that name. Yeah. And I find it interesting that people start to speak about her as a witch, because that seems to be a very common pronouncement amongst these women that kind of isolate themselves. And there's a lot of them that seem to kind of end up at Hall in situations like this. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I and I can think of uh, just all up the line for for Reina. I when you think of uh, uh, Vicenia, people thought that she might have been responsible for the death of of one of the Septons at a time that was going to oppose Magar, um, and how the, uh, witchcraft was sometimes associated with her. I mean, after all, Aenys was under her care <laughs> uh, when when he when he passed. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, there's, there's all kinds of implications of, of that. But uh, her appearance, the way that uh, her hair had turned to pure white and uh, all of that, I suppose, didn't help matters uh, for the common folk as well. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and people wouldn't really get to see her or interact with her much. They just see her out with her dragon occasionally. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You spoke of the progresses earlier. I think one of the most important progresses is, of course, uh, Jaehaerys is he's tied down having to negotiate out this peace treaty. Um, and so Allison says, I'll go north. You know, mm-hmm. you stay here. I'll go north. And, and uh, there, there's a great deal that comes out of this. Uh, first of all, I, you know, Manderley's partying it up. That, that doesn't seem shocking at all. No, um, <laughs> it seems to be in the bloodline. Uh, they they like to make a party, but at least it wasn't as as disrespectful as Manderley's party at uh, at Winterfell. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> that, that's great. Uh, I love the mention of the Blackwoods again. That's one of my favorite Easter eggs. Always that they had kept the old gods. Also, uh, this quote here was very interesting to me in terms of the wall itself, where Alisane had wrote to Jaehaerys. She says. Thrice I flew Silverwing high above Castle Black, and thrice I tried to take her north beyond the wall, Alisane wrote to Jaehaerys. But every time she veered back south again and refused to go. Never before has she refused to take me where I wished to go. And I started thinking about, you know, in the books especially, and it was alluded to a little bit in the show, but in the books especially, um, there seems to be this magic embedded within the wall itself, right? Right. And I wonder if this magic, uh, because cold hands couldn't pass through it, because, and we see in the show that Ben can't pass through it, um, and it makes me wonder how the how the uh, how the White Walkers ever got through it in the show. But uh, there's this seems to me like there's like a barrier for magical things perhaps from either side a dragon can't come up from the south uh nor can a, a white walker come through from the north um yet we did see the white magic work in the first book the whites were able to still be animated on the other side of the wall um so i don't know if if there's a barrier of magic keeping magic from happening from either direction or or was it Simply that Silverwing was sensing the White Walkers and didn't want to go there. I don't know. Yeah, I and, and and this is another instance of me wondering whether this was somehow a little bit in response to the television show with dragons ending up, you know, going north of the Wall. That uh, uh, George was saying that uh, no, the dragons aren't going to be able to go north of the Wall, hmm. <laughs> but. Yeah, that's definitely a very puzzling and interesting detail. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed, first off, Alicent's visit with Alaric Stark. Nice. And how he was very, in my mind, very Stannis-like in his behavior. Ah, yeah. Well, and he, I think he had good reason. You know, he was still holding the grudge about uh, what had happened to his brother Walton, right? Yes. Yeah. And True. She softened that quite a bit, but he still made it a point later on to to show Jaharis. It's like, hey, look at what you caused. Right. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think, you know, just uh, his whole demeanor and everything and the way he behaved, even even though when he did soften to her, I still was getting Stannis vibes from him. But um, mm-hmm. but yeah, then, then she did go up to the wall while she was waiting for Harris to be able to meet her up there uh, in the, the incident that you're talking about. And, you know, we get in the books when uh, Bran uh, reaches the wall, the, the stories about how Queen's Gate was named after her. I found it interesting that uh, it said that she provided her jewels to build a new fort so they could close the night for it. And the fort they built was Deep Lake, but then they changed Snowgate to rename it after her as Queensgate. And I was thinking, well, why wouldn't they have just named the one that, that she paid for after her? <laughs> it just seemed a little odd to me that they... Because the men um, of the Night's Watch aren't all that smart, and if you say Deep Lake, oh, okay, it's got to be near a lake. <laughs> okay, I guess. <laughs> I, you know, I, 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 I did think about the fact that maybe there was some significance to that lake that they had to, to do that, but it still it was like, hmm, I'm paying for this castle. Why wouldn't you name this one after me instead of that? <laughs> anyway, but yeah. Um, yeah. Something else that I thought about this whole thing, uh, because we do get that mention from Bran where he says, good Queen Alicene has suggested the watch replace it with a smaller new castle at a spot only seven miles east. And in this one, uh, of course, Alicene tells the, the Lord Commander, the watch should abandon it, she said, and build a smaller castle further to the east. So that seems to be in coordinates. But at the other hand... Um, there's this instance in the Storm of Swords where in John 5 where he says, Alisane, the wife of King Jaehaerys, the conciliator, he's called the old king because he reigned for so long, but when he was, he was young when he first came to the Iron Throne. In those days, it was his wont to travel all over the realm. When he came to Winterfell, he brought his queen, six dragons, and half the court. The king had matters to discuss with his warden of the north, and Alisane grew bored, so she mounted her dragon silver wing and flew north to see the wall hmm. so obviously in in allison's visit this first progress north um now jaharis does come to winterfell towards the end of this chapter right uh, but it she had already visited the wall by that time so where is the misinformation here is our maester gildane mistaken or is the person who was talking to Jon Snow mistaken? Or did they make a separate trip up there at some other point? Uh, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, I, I hadn't uh, caught that at all. That's very good. I mean, there's, there's uh, interesting when you can see, you know, when there's been a few places where it seems like uh, George is making changes in the story. And, you know, this may be an example of, of him doing that and, it's curious that he would have uh, not referred to or used that previous information there. Yeah. I mean, because this goes a little bit beyond a sex of a horse thing to me. Right. Which makes me think that maybe it's a different progress that John is being spoken to about. Uh, but Possible. I've yet to, I've, I've, you know, I can't comment beyond, uh, we really only have one more deep, meaty Jaharis chapter so I don't want to say anything until the next podcast on any of that but it, it just struck me as as odd um, and, and I thought well it could just be that John's getting bad information here mm-hmm. or it could be that Gildane has bad information and is just kind of glorifying Alison a little bit beyond but that doesn't seem very George to me um, no. it, to me it would be more like John getting bad information than, than Alison not having done this all on her own yeah, you would ho- you you hope that there's some rationale behind that uh, change because it does seem like you say it's not just the color of a, uh, a sex of a horse or a color of someone's eyes. Right. We also get the fact that um, Allison helps the Night's Watch to acquire the new gift through her um, mm-hmm. charming working with Al- Alaric Stark uh, to get him to donate that and. That's another thing I found interesting. I had previously heard individuals talking about that, other you know, other podcasts, other people talking about the stories, in the idea that um, that this was some sort of power play that the Targaryens 
did to get the Starks to donate this land and and in a way that it was Targaryens kind of showing their uh, their power over the Starks that they would make them do that. But this certainly doesn't sound anything like that. This sounds like uh, you know that uh, Alicent recognized the need, and then even though uh, Alaric did apparently um he resisted this, a little bit but yeah right 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 but it didn't seem like it was any kind of power play over them so i i thought i thought that here's another instance where perhaps that was something that had been extrapolated from earlier details and now we've got a better hand on what the story is mm-hmm. yeah I, I i i agree i agree um here was another quote that just chilled me to the bone uh, from this particular chapter. Uh, and it was after they had returned for the progress, I believe. Um, uh, somebody says, the first men fought with bronze swords and fed their weirwood trees with blood. And it just makes me think of that uh, vision that Bran has in, in A Dance with Dragons of the, all the red around the, around the weirwood tree. And I, I just, uh, it's so horrifying to think that uh, sacrifices were made to weirwood trees. <laughs> But it looks like they were. <laughs> it looks like they were. True, true. And of course, another uh, result of this particular trip is the uh, additional law that Alison is very instrumental in in making happen after uh, talking to the women in the North at uh, some more of her uh, women's court meetings uh, about the, the right to the first night. Yes. And uh, who who in the modern story do we see violate that? None other than Roose Bolton, right? Yeah. That's how Ramsey was made, right? Yes, indeed. Yeah, <laughs> he's the first man to the last. Yes, yeah, yeah, and and uh, and it uh, it definitely was something that uh, Alison had to really kind of convince and work on the uh, small council to get them to go along with with this mm-hmm. they were very hesitant to step into that and and uh, felt that they were going to you know really anger some of the lords with doing that but she was able to convince them in the end and one of the things that uh, again uh, turning back to to things i've heard other people theorize about um something that i heard people talk about is when you get into some of these old stories, you're going, you know, looking back into the Age of Heroes and some of these uh, when you, in really old times or early times with these up north, and you're getting like the war kings and theorizing that maybe that's where the Starks got some of their war gain abilities and so forth. The idea that some of the the uh, petty kings or lords would have had war gain abilities that the possibility of this right to the first night might have been their desire to have as many children as possible so that they could try to create additional wargs because you get the idea that, what, one in a thousand becomes a ward mm-hmm. uh, type of thing uh, that we hear from Bran. I think Jojen tells him one in a thousand becomes a, a warg and one uh, warg in a thousand becomes a green seer or something like that. So right. you have that thing with the Targaryens that their bastards were considered blessed with the idea of being dragon seeds. That perhaps there was a similar idea with the wargs, and that that could have been part of an early impetus or rationale behind some of this. I mean, not justifying any of it right. uh, as rational, but that there, you know that could have been some reasoning there. Yeah, um, I, I think that that would have made sense to them. Of course, it doesn't make any sense to us, uh, this right. whole first night thing. But uh, if they were going to try and rationalize it in some way to themselves, um, then that would be a good reason uh, as far as they were concerned. Agreed. What else do we have on this chapter? Anything? Uh, we have Septon Barth's trip to uh, Bravos. Yes, and the whole uh, deal. The, the after after everything about areas is uh, accounted for, then we have to again start to worry about the eggs, and that's a pretty slick negotiation. Uh, the Sea Lord of Bravos, uh, he's he's pro- quite formidable. 
Yes, indeed. It was curious to me why the Iron Bank would be so willing to forgive the entire debt to the Iron Throne. I mean, is that because the Sea Lord was paying them? What were they getting out of this? I, w- I wondered about that because that, that was a pretty big concession on their part. Yeah, that is a huge concession. And, and I really don't even know where to begin how the Sea Lord would have that kind of power over this bank that seemingly has power over anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, that That is a nice mystery to, to ask. Do you have any theories? It may be that there's a partnership between them. You know, they, they're all power brokers there in Bravos, and it could be that, uh, I, you know, like I say, there are different deals between them, different relationships between them, or the Sea Lord indeed uh, covering some of the costs or, you know, financing it in some way because he really wanted to keep those dragon eggs. Uh, yeah, I could go with either of those. I, I wonder if the dragon eggs are indeed deposited in the Iron Bank. And are being used as uh, uh, fencing money for somebody else. Right. Definitely. Yeah. So. Um, and nobody wants to see the Iron Bank destroyed or melted down like Karen Hall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then as a result of that, we get, uh, you know, the financing for some more additional big projects in King's Landing where they are doing sewer system there and... And the water system. Right, right. Yes. Which is it, another Alisan's uh, convincing them that uh, the poor folks don't need to be drinking this uh, river water. Yeah. I love that. She just brings it to them. She says, here, right. have a drink. You know, right. Now, do you really want to, do you not want to do this? Um, mm-hmm. I, I love Alisan. She's fantastic. The good queen Alisan. Anything else? Well, fun. Thing that I do want to know in terms of making changes uh, that people have have made note of with the books is that in terms of the children and their birth and their birth names, this Daenerys uh, was not originally uh, a child that George had for Alison and Jaharis. So that was a significant change. Mm. And so in terms of the the trees that he he supplied in the books. In well, yeah, yeah, and when you go to um, the big book, Ice and Fire history book, uh-huh. uh, he, he went through you know Alison and Jaharis's children, and uh, it, there was a, a another named child. And they didn't have it in Eris, as far as I know. Okay. So um, so now they bring in this um, Aegon is the first one, and he dies early. Mm-hmm. And you think about uh, Rhaegar again, having that Aegon who died, supposedly, very mm-hmm. young. And then you have a Daenerys kind of coming next in the line. And then the third child is an Aegon, or not an Aegon, a Aemon. Mm-hmm. And that brings up the idea that, again, we really don't know in the books will John Snow's real name be Aegon, or maybe he will be an Aemon, like a lot of people think. And hmm. so those first three children being an Aegon and a Daenerys and an Aemon may correlate to something that's going on in the books. Okay. All right. That, that's weird, though, that suddenly a Daenerys appears in there where there wasn't before. Right, right. I mean, you might want to go if you, you know, at some point uh, if you're interested. Look at the comparison between the name list, but uh, yeah, the the first name. I'm not sure whether there they had an Aegon who died first or not, or whether there was another named child, and then the Daenerys is is an addition, and then after that, I think it starts to head back to what was what they had for their list. Okay, interesting. And and again, that's not that's a change that is obviously deliberate on George's part. Yeah, I, I always wonder what the motivation of that is. Is it to discredit one thing or another, or is it because Elio and Linda were working on this one, and even if they got it from George's texts, you know, maybe he misspoke in an email. <laughs> uh, I don't know. 
But uh, yeah, I, I just you know I've heard people talk about the fact that you know the, the the changes that are are that people have noted that do seem significant that there must be some reason behind them because as you said it's not as simple as just uh, the sex of a horse or the yes. color of the eyes. Yep. Right. Exactly. Excellent. Well, what else do we have? Anything? The only thing else that I have is that we have the tenth anniversary of Alison and Jaharis uh, and Jaharis's coronation resulting in the celebration in King's Landing. Yes. And the tournament. Some interesting things going on there. Uh, the Dragon Pit is finally completed in this time period, is it not? Yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, Valerian was the first dragon there, kept there. Yes. After Valerian had returned, then that's where they, they kept him there. You had um, a number of people coming to help celebrate that, you know, just kind of like maybe a reunion of people. You had uh, Robar Baratheon bringing his, his two young children, Starks coming down from the north, and you had uh, Rayela, Septa Rayela, Rayla, Herrera's uh, uh, twin sister, mm-hmm. coming to attend. So it was um, considered to be, a, you know, a really nice kind of reunion of all these different individuals yes and i think the chapter kind of ends with that but it also ends with the uh idea that uh, uh as lovely as everything was that was happening at that uh at that particular moment that uh winter was coming yes yeah that that, that uh finally what it seemed like a, a a really long summer i don't remember exactly where it's put but uh people hit the uh gildane puts in a way like well, most people tend to think of Jaharis's rule just being one long summer, but there were several winters, and, and it seems like trouble is on the horizon a little bit. Well, Susan, once again, I really want to thank you for joining me this time. It's been too long since I got to talk to you about A Song of Ice and Fire. I'm so glad that you've returned to talk with us about this series. We'll hopefully have you in future episodes regarding this book as well. In the meantime, if people do want to talk to you about... Uh, Game of Thrones or about A Song of Ice and Fire or about these books um, or the history of Westeros or Star Wars. I know you're into Star Wars. Maybe people want to talk to you about that as well. Uh, how can they how, how can they contact you? Well, I haven't been on uh, Twitter to the degree that I used to be, but you can still uh, definitely contact me there. I'm always happy to take a, you know, if somebody sends me a message, I will try to respond as timely as possible so yes uh, at uh, under the username of black eyed lily and uh yes i am looking forward to hopefully uh i'm definitely looking forward to joining even more discussions about uh fire and blood i'm hoping that we're going to be uh seeing the winds of winter sometime in the near future <laughs> and uh and i am also very excited about the upcoming star wars movie and that's probably where a lot of my fandom interest and is at this point in time where i'm kind of uh, researching lots of the new lore and ancillary materials that have been coming out that are kind of supporting and pointing to some of the things that might be going on with the end of that 40-year saga Right on. Well, thank you once again, Susan, for joining us. And folks, if you have any thoughts about any of these chapters, we'd love to hear from you. Please feel free to send emails to Matt's audio blog. That's M-A-T-T-S audio blog at gmail.com. Or you can tweet to at the letter B, the number four, the dragon pod on Twitter. Uh, there's also a contact form up at the website, Matt's audio blog.com, M-A-T-T-S audio blog.com. As well as I included on the website a new tab, which has the audio from our Symphony of Ice and Fire panel, uh, which we had at Con of Thrones this year, back in early July. We would really appreciate it if you take a listen to that. There's also some PowerPoints to go along with that discussion, uh, which are yours to download and take with you. Um, So feel free. That's all free. Uh, it was a, a stipulation of the uh, Con of Thrones that if I released any of this audio, it had to be free. 
And of course, we are free here. We don't monetize. We don't do anything like that. So have at it. Download it as much as you want or as little as you want. Um, take a look at it. Feel free to send me an email and call me crazy about some of my thoughts about the music of Game of Thrones. Uh, happy to do that, too. Always happy to discuss things about Ramin Javadi's music. Doesn't just have to be Game of Thrones as well. Uh, I'm well-versed in his Westworld stuff. I'm well-versed in his person of interest stuff. Um, happy to talk to any of you about any of that. In the meantime, we'll return next time with another edition of our Read of Fire and Blood. Thanks for listening. Oh, and I'm really looking forward to uh, listening to that uh, that from from Con of Thrones about the Symphony of Ice and Fire. That sounds fascinating. Yeah, we had a good time at the panel. It was really fun. Uh, it was me and Bubba and Catfish and uh, Petra Halber from Watchers on the Wall were on that panel. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I'm definitely going to go give that a listen. All right. In the meantime, folks, take care. Bye-bye. Send tweets to the letter B, the number four, the dragon pod, and send emails to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com. <laughs>